0: Hi, and welcome to the Hope Energy podcast. My name is Ian Parry, and I'll be hosting this week's discussion on the energy crisis in the UK. With me today are Andy Colton, founder and CEO of Hope Energy, Stuart Lloyd Evans of Celo Energy, and Dr Andrew Crossland, an independent market consultant, all of whom are part of the Hope Energy team. Hi, everybody.
1: Morning. Hi, good Hello. Morning.
0: Thanks for your time today. Um, So I'm going to get straight into it um, and ask you, Andrew, with a a nice easy opener. um, What do you think has been going on in the industry these days? What's what's kind of happening?
2: Uh, I I think at the time of recording, we're in the middle of a a supposed crisis around gas prices leaping up and some, some suppliers exiting the market. But uh, I think I, I sort of view this in, the, in a sort of wider context of, um, you know, we're, we're a few weeks away from the climate conference in Glasgow, huge lot of, of noise around, uh, deep, around heat and transport. And, and I, what, I, what I'm seeing is a, a real drive towards electrification and changing the way that we get energy in the UK and uh, a real... Um, drive to increase electricity demand, which um, I get quite excited about because uh, I think there's a real good uh, good opportunity to uh, start to do things a bit differently.
0: Great. Thanks, Andrew. What about, what about you, Stuart?
3: Yeah, similar. I mean, it's kind of a, I guess a global crisis of sorts that's had some kind of ripple effects into the market. They've then been exacerbated by local things that have gone on. So globally, there's been an increase in gas demand that's been happening come out of COVID and also shutting down coal assets in the Far East. Accompanied with a a cold winter last year in Europe that left European gas demand higher across the summer. So suddenly everyone across the globe is scrabbling to get gas, which has pushed the price up for gas. Uh, At the same time, the company increasing the price for carbon, um, with carbon permits being less around because people want to use less carbon, so it's getting more expensive as well. So you've had the kind of global impacts and European impacts that have pushed prices for gas and electricity higher. And then accompanying that with a kind of more local UK impact during September was a particularly low wind month. That meant that there was less wind generation than expected. Therefore, that meant that uh, prices went even higher in the UK than they would have done otherwise, because you had that kind of exacerbation of different effects going on from the global through to the local. And it meant that you know, prices within day hit record levels on the gas front, so on the electricity front, uh, peaking about £4,000 a megawatt hour within day. Um In all fairness, hedging that for anybody is difficult. If you don't know what your demand is going to be at a half-hour level before you get there, um, and you don't know which price is going to be really high, it's hard to hedge. So I think everybody would have been caught to a degree. Um, So suppliers, no matter how good they were and what they're saying, couldn't have hedged all of it. They could have probably got rid of most of it, but it would be kind of really dealing with the risk premium that you were holding from customers and your pricing side would be the thing that sees you through. Mm. Because these events could happen and hopefully the pricing for it. And then from the supply side as well, I guess, locally, the suppliers are sitting on a mountain of debt from COVID. Um, Remember last year when demand dropped off a cliff, government obliged suppliers not to collect debt, uh, not to be able to cut customers off. So suppliers have been really, really squeezed. So you've had this kind of a a mountain of debt, a company with prices going up that squeeze current suppliers. And also the, the price cap calculation, the domestic market is set on a lag basis. That means that when prices across the whole price curve go up very quickly, the cap is set at a price below the market price. So the, the current market price sits above where the cap was calculated because it was calculated you know, three, four months ago. Yeah. And so suppliers are squeezed in a position where on you know, a domestic side, they're obliged to sell at a loss. So it's kind of a coming together of all of these factors, all of which were predictable in many ways, yeah. um, but all of which turned up at once so <laughs> it, that's maybe what you would have been less likely to expect
0: yes exactly and, and andy it's, it's kind of difficult um trying to add anything to that from from both andrew and Stuart. really kind of uh you know great insight from them both but is there is there anything like from a summary point of view you just sort of pull together on it
1: yeah um, yeah again what, what can you add to what the guys have said it, it has been this perfect storm hasn't it of of all these events coming together and uh, it, you know, an internet interconnector going down as well at short notice and on, on unplanned downtime. Um, it, yeah, it really has been tough. I think um, it's been a, such a sad situation for a number of our, you know, friends in other, in other suppliers, you know, lots of people have, have lost their jobs. Um, I, I do find this narrative of, you know, poorly run businesses pretty disheartening because I think a lot of them were not poorly run. It might've been a couple, uh, but I do think some of the, some of the media have Really haven't helped. I think, in a big kind of bigger picture view, though, um, you know, here, here at Hope Energy, as as you guys know, we've been really pushing that whole. You know, we've got to get greener. We've got to get you know closer to net zero quicker, um, and that's the right thing to do environmentally. I think now there's an argument, and this is probably more of a you know macroeconomic point. You know, it makes sense economically now as well to really push for renewables, for more storage, you know, for more innovation, community energy, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, not only is it the right thing to do environmentally, but it's got to be the right thing now economically to really push that agenda.
0: Spot on um so so for people outside of the industry, what they're being hit with at the moment is headlines from you know whether you're reading it on on the sort of b b c web pages or whether you're, if you're picking up your news from you know traditional newspaper outlets and and words like crisis um you know hearing about things like running out of gas supply and um, and obviously off the back of um people sort of panic buying in the shops. Earlier, you know, last year, and the, the sort of petrol um, sort of panic buying as well. Um, but but obviously, you were all on the inside track of this. What what are we what what might we have missed if we'd have just followed the news uh, headlines, Stuart?
3: A, a whole heap of things, but uh, <laughs> let me just try a couple of. Um, I think it's been interesting that every time a politician speaks. A different question they're asked. And no surprise to anybody, I guess, in many respects. But politicians are generally answering questions about security of supply, as in, will the lights go off? Is there enough gas? And the answer is yeah. yes. Whereas the questions that have been answered are generally around price, because I guess we all assume that there'll be gas in the pipes and power in the cables. So there's been this kind of real, I think, mismatch between, yes, there is enough of the product there, but how much it will cost is a thing that's unknown. And so right. I think that's why there's been a bit of a gap in what the industry has been talking about. Um, and I think as well, there's been a bit of news around recently around paying more for gas to incentivize decarbonization of gas. It's probably worth noting about. I mean, my, my expectation of that originally was that that would be a repatriation of costs from electricity into gas to pay for decarbonization. But I think reading around it a bit more now, it looks like electricity costs will stay where they are, and then gas will get more of its own non commodity costs to pay for heat pumps and things. So it looks to me like rather than a switch from one to the other, it's one. Is and the other going up
1: can i ask you on, on that then where, where do you think the price cap is going to go then because sure, surely you know those costs have got to be you know there's, there's only one way those costs can go it's got to be passed on partly to the consumer so where, where does the price cap fit in all this
3: well for the current period we're in uh, those costs don't apply so the cap is set and it'll be what it'll be um i imagine it will come in next year sometime depending on when government kind of predicts and says how it will happen at which point i'll be fact into the cap back then, Um, if the cap survives, I mean, who knows? There's so much Mm. pressure, maybe not politically, but pressure from businesses to do it, that there needs to be some changes made in the calculation because it's always been a really weak calculation. Yeah. And and I remember, you know, Ed Miliband was the first one to talk about price freezes back in 2013, 14, whenever it was, I don't know. Um, And back then the point was made to him that, you know, a a price cap that is fixed against a floating wholesale price is a recipe for disaster. Mm. So, I mean, that should be a surprise to nobody.
2: It is, it is difficult though, Stuart and, and Andy. You know, I, I, I work with local energy poverty charities, and the number of people yeah. who are facing that heating eating choice is, is significant. So, it's uh, you know the, the the price cap is there to protect um, protect consumers. Um, some of them aren't aren't poor; they're they're vulnerable for a, a whole manner of reasons: elderly, um, running a young family, etc the fundamentals of the market don't change that energy prices are high and i think i think in your first in the first question stuart something you said was this was very predictable and um although we know that we live in a post-truth world with politics we do know the fundamentals of, a, of an electricity market and electricity system remain constant that the uk is absolutely addicted to gas it's 40% of our electricity the last year and 90% of our domestic heating demand. And I think what the headlines are missing is how we're going to diversify away from gas. There's a whole, you know, there's a, it's great getting your photograph taken with a wind turbine or a solar farm. But what about the alternatives to gas that we're not talking about? Biofuels that aren't being talked about. Hydrogen having a reasonable debate about what hydrogen can do. How are we going to decarbonize effectively very, very leaky homes? And I think that You know, suppliers who are committing themselves to not burning gas, or not buying gas, or offsetting gas. I think they're saying the right things about, you know, the UK has got this this fossil fuel problem, and we've got to get away from it. And I think the you know politicians who you say will love to talk about will the lights go out or not, but you know, they're also their, their frame of reference is the world when. We produce most of our gas ourselves. The North Sea was our, our mainstay of, of, of gas production, and 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 that's 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 a, that's a thing of the past now, unfortunately. And and you know, I think I think it's I think that's one of the, the good things about you, like you and I Stuart is like I come from a geopolitical kind of angle, and you know the fundamentals of how the market works, and between that, you've got this great understanding of you know, what can we what can we do about it, which um, is uh, you know is kind of what. <laughs> What all the suppliers are asking, I guess. How do how do we how do we get out of this market, and what will and also what 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 will government try and do on a policy or regulatory level um, to 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 work our, our way out of this? Well,
0: thanks, Andrew and Andy. From your point of view, is that is that kind of part of the part of the reason why you set up Hope Energy? Actually, was this kind of getting beyond? Uh, gas consumption and, and and the addiction to gas and, and trying to leave a legacy that was a bit cleaner and purer.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think for, for those who perhaps don't know our story, part of it was, you know, for those of us involved, a little bit of a midlife crisis of, you know, what the hell have we done with our lives? And, um, you know, what good have we actually done to the world? And the more you start reading, the more I started reading about, you know, the impacts of climate change and where we're going. um, We're not doing enough, quickly enough. Um, so I think even, you know, net zero by 2050, <clears throat> there's, you know, the, the UN view on this, the IPCC that looks at climate change, suggests, no, we've got to do something a lot quicker. We've got to do something in the next decade or else, um, you know, we're, go- we're going to be in trouble. So that's kind of why we started. Well, not even kind of, that is why we started up. And in particular, you know, we want to look into what can we do to tackle this? You know, what can we do to try and lower our carbon footprints and uh, yeah, and that's where Hope Energy was born, really. So, and I think it's probably fair to say that the greener suppliers in the market, as we as we record this today, of which, you know, there's two or three that do it pretty well. Um, they're still going. They still seem to be going relatively strong. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a message there because I think people are starting to understand better how the market works and how suppliers work. And, um, yeah, obviously we, we want to join that, that brigade as well. So, yeah.
0: Okay, so broadly speaking, then um, you know the, the headlines are being driven by these kind of catastrophic event type conversations, and that's missing uh, missing the entire point as far as where the pricing is at the moment and how retailers are, are faring um, in in this market. I mean, we saw we saw yesterday a, a cooperative of, of failed suppliers gathering together to to complain to Ofgem and the government about the way in which the things, have, things have gone for them and the way this this market's faring. Do you think, um, to, to Stuart and Andrew, do you think that sort of activity is going to drive any real change in the marketplace or do you think it's broadly going to fall on, on deaf ears? Stuart, if you wouldn't mind starting that one.
3: Unfortunately, the evidence so far suggests it is where we are at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it's a real travesty that there has been thousands of jobs that have been lost in energy supply, and yet they're still being talked about as failing businesses and people. Mm. That, and so, whereas energy intensive users that, to be honest, took decisions for the hedging they did and being exposed to very short term prices are being supported. I think that, that's a real travesty. And politicians really should answer as to what's going on and why they've made those decisions. But I think suppliers over the last 20 years have been a convenient political punch bag, they've been the bad guys for the red tops and everybody else. And I, I think it's misplaced. Um, I would hope that some of that is toned down into the future.
0: Yeah,
3: But that's a fundamental changes, I don't think they'll be coming quickly. And, and I think some of the things that the suppliers that have failed to have asked for are probably a bit unrealistic. They're asking somebody to underwrite their hedging for them. Mm. I, kind of, I mean, in my view, that isn't how free markets work. Mm. Um, if you know what you're doing, you may have suffered pain at this point, but you shouldn't have been caught out entirely. So there is a, a little bit of you've got to figure out what you're doing and make sure you don't take bad decisions.
0: Yeah, and and I guess that's having um, hedging and a commercial strategy at the centre of your organisation um, to make sure you do not get caught out. And and for me, the you know the, the one of the big learnings is has been lots of people have come to market with a proposition of doing something different for the customer, which is you know truly important, but they've still lost out in 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 this in this round of 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 losses because maybe they haven't got the commercial strategy quite right and i guess what what andy's trying to build here at hope energy is a is a strategy that combines both the consumer proposition and leaving a legacy and that strong commercial um strategy um you know driven by yourself Stuart, where where we will get things right
1: and i think as well one thing we've we've observed over you know recent years is I think a lot of suppliers have entered the market. And again, I'm really not trying to throw dirt at the, at the suppliers, but I think the way the market's gone is there's been a bit of a race to the bottom. You know, the, the, the cheapest tariffs available, you know, get on the comparison sites. Um, and I think it's a false economy, you know, because I think the comparison sites, they're not, they're not cheap to go through as well. Um, I think that was always going to be a bubble that would burst because the real price of energy is, you know, is what it is. And so a lot of suppliers were taking hits at that time. And that was when wholesale prices were a lot lower. So I think that was always going to, there was always the danger, you know, if, if wholesale prices start um, creeping up, which was somewhat predictable, as we've already talked about, then yeah, there was this bubble that's going to burst. And I think the, yeah, the I think reality is, oh, constitute yeah.
3: So I was just saying, if I add into the mix as well the non commodity costs that we're talking about, yes, wholesale costs have suddenly spiraled, but the, the non commodity costs that pass through that, you know, prior to this increase made up about half your bill. At the moment, they're probably making up about 20% maybe with the wholesale price increase. But their costs for financing low carbon mainly. And to be honest, the mechanisms that they pass through to suppliers on are phenomenally complicated. Yeah, So much so that I mean, the, the suppliers are effectively underwriting the risk about how much gets generated. And to understand that as a supplier, you really need to understand the whole market. And I think there may be some that came in that didn't understand how those things worked and how the prices would come through to them. And therefore didn't price them effectively so you, you get yeah. hit by wholesale prices and the non-commodity prices that effectively supply you're recovering to pay for somebody else so the supplier is kind of the, recovering all the costs for everything else to get built so it's really really important in the long run that the uk has strong suppliers because that's how net zero is going to be delivered based on the way it's been financed at the moment that's the decision government's made so government needs strong suppliers as much as anybody else does yeah
0: and just, just kind of moving on then to um, the sort of future and, and where where we go next, where this market goes next, where, where, where it goes next. So, Andrew, you're you're well placed to, to answer this question. What what do you think is going to happen next, both in the short term? And I'm and I'm kind of thinking between now and and sort of March next year, that sort of winter winter period, and then and then maybe the, the year after that. What what, what are you seeing?
2: Um, I, think, I think you can probably divide it into a few different areas. Um, touched upon this earlier, but you know, I think regulation is going to be pretty interesting, and to see, see how Offgem respond, be that to changes in the price cap or specific requirements on how suppliers um, hedge, for example, might be something they might look at. I'm not necessarily saying there'll be uh, good interventions or not, but I, I think Offgem will have to be seen to, to act. And um, it will be interesting what they do. Um, historically, they uh, are advised into taking policy decisions by industry players as well as politicians. So it would be interesting which are, which of those various people is the loudest. Um, I think you know there's there's a lot of noise at the moment about you know announcements being made up in the lead, you know, in the lead up to COP. And you know, net zero is is not going away. Good, which is a good thing, um and I think we're going to see some pretty significant um infrastructure announcements being made. The, the government really likes to do that at the moment. There was talk this morning of uh, one of the big nuclear plants being announced that we're going to need a, a, a big investment in the networks. We're going to need a lot of capital invested in renewables. Now, as Stuart touched upon just now, that's going to cost a lot of a lot of money Um, and what I really really hope is that the government recognizes that any capital that's invested has got a cost of finance and that cost of finance is paid for everything is paid for by the consumer in the electricity industry and um, I really really hope we start pushing for mechanisms that give really really low cost of finance there's 22 million consumers out there and you'll probably correct me on that number but um, there's millions and millions of consumers oh is it 21 is it? So I think it's okay. a bit higher. A bit higher, okay. Yeah. well there's millions anyway. of consumers out yeah. there, but they aren't going to go away. They're still going to be trying to use the same amount of, um, more electricity, that um, they're still going to be buying um, from the system. So um, we've got to make sure that they're they're protected against ridiculous costs of finance and ridiculous investment decisions. Um, in my view, um, I hope that's the direction of travel. but I think the direction of travel is just going to be let's spend big money. thanks Andrew Um, and and
0: in particular on on price across the market Stuart what what do you think is going to happen I'll ask you the easy question
3: yeah I'm going to live on a private island in the Caribbean (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I guess nothing goes up forever is is, uh, the absolute truth of everything Um, so at some point they will settle new capacity will come on stream because if you've got some gas somewhere at the moment you'll be trying to get out of the ground Um, as all these things do, so markets will settle at some point. If the winter is fairly normal, and maybe if we all hope for a a warm and windy winter, things will probably be okay. If it gets cold and not windy, it could be quite tight. I mean, supply margins and electricity are tighter than they've been for a long time this winter, so it could be quite bumpy. Um, Obviously, from the domestic customer perspective, the cap will protect people. Um, but that doesn't protect suppliers. So government may have to intervene if things do get really bad, because even the really big boys are going to be hurting at the moment. And they come a point at which they may decide they don't want to do it anymore. Who yeah. knows? Um, and you get into next spring and the cap will be reset based on current prices, which may create a problem between the cap and the market going into next summer. By the time you get beyond next summer, I would hope then that the cap is either revisited entirely or just normal service in the market occurs and there is a gap between the cap and the market that means that there is a, an achievable margin in the supply market.
1: Stuart, t- typically prices start to dip after after winter into spring. What, what are you seeing in those kind of forwards at the, at the moment? Yeah, the
3: forward curve is retaining that kind of approach to where prices are in the future. They, I mean, the very short term prices have been above long term for the last few months, and you've had this kind of real strong uptick across this winter, Um the fourth quarter this year is going to be probably where it's critical if it's cold and any gas shortages yeah. early, that'll make q1 next year very tight um so you know all eyes are on what happens in the next few weeks probably as you go into winter and you get post-clock change and things start getting interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Be where you, the, the direction of travel becomes clear
1: yeah and if you're going to start a new energy business steward you you'd want to do it in spring right
3: yeah, that would be the best time to do. It, I think at the moment you you want to yeah. come in with a clean book, knowing that you can actually make profit from doing it on day one. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> cool, and that that's a really nice segue, Andy, into my next question, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, what? So, so we we've we've been in this industry for for uh, you know a long time, and we we've certainly, um, Stuart, you and I have been part of um, setups of, of new suppliers, and we've learned. A considerable amount as a result of that. Um, so, so this question is more around what are the key things to do to mitigate the issues we've seen so far in in the market. And, and Stuart, if I will start with you first of all, and then I'll I'll come to you then, Andrew, and and, and then Andy.
3: Well, I guess it's it's a we've kind of talked about it a bit earlier on. Is it's the commercial key to be making sure you're pricing at a level to expect to make a profit, yeah, and to know you're making a profit. Um. And, and have an effective hedge underneath it. I mean, it's all right to say commodity prices are going to be whatever they are, but until such time as you hedge them, that price is going to move. So if you're pricing at a 1% or percent gross margin, you've got very, very little buffering there against it. And so I think what people have maybe done in the past is they priced at a very low gross margin and not hedged underneath it. That's just you know my bit of asking for trouble. And all you just find, I always mean, find, when I was running hedging books for larger suppliers there, the... Nobody wanted to talk to the hedging team unless something had gone wrong. It's quite strange. If your hedging is working, nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. When it's front page news in the papers, there's something. Um, and the level of knowledge around you know, the world is not that high of how you do it and how it works. But I think that the critical thing is to, at the end of the day, no matter how anybody wants to dress it up, suppliers are selling the world's most volatile commodity. Um, and that comes with certain risk profile and certain way you need to manage it. If you get that right and put a really good proposition on top of it for the customer, you should mm. be onto a winner.
0: Yeah, so that's really about making sure that your organisation is set up, um, understanding the risks that you're willing to take, as as any business, and having the right intelligence uh, and experience in in the team in the business to to make those those calls to make sure that you're on the right side of that that positive margin. Is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's probably worth noting as a new entrant coming into the market at the moment, you're going to be handed a cost advantage going into next year and beyond compared to everybody else, because all of the costs that haven't been paid by supplier fails this year get mutualized across suppliers. So the costs will get picked up, but they'll get picked up in future. But the way they get picked up is based on how much market share people had when the supplier failed. So, so a new yeah. entrant actually gets a, a natural bit of cost advantage. Now, you can either use that correctly and get into the market properly, or you know some suppliers may come in and not do it properly and undercut prices. That's not what I suggest you want to be.
0: No,
3: but yeah. it, it does give a an extra bit of buffer for new supplier coming in from a market entry perspective.
0: That's a really good point. <clears throat> really good point, yeah. actually. Andy, did you want to come in there? Sorry.
3: Yeah, I, I was. I was just
1: really going to say. So I think the, my key my key takeaway, my key point here is get people in who know what they're doing. Um, you know, <clears throat> so I know. Uh, a lot about the industry, having having worked in and around it for a long, long time. But I'm not a hedging expert, and that's why it's absolutely critical we do get experts in. So again, this is people like Stuart, um, who really you know do know what they're doing. They've done this before. You know, you kind of live and breathe it. And I think that's uh, absolutely the right the right thing to do. So, um, and I think that, again, it's been a bit of an entrepreneurial journey for me. You know, I started out and I wanted to know everything, and I wanted to be in control of everything. You know, the control freak in me et cetera, but, um, but over time you realise you just, you know, you just cannot know everything. So absolutely you have to lean on on, on people who've been there, done that, and uh, hence why we've got the, basically you three around the table here.
0: Cool. Thanks, Andy. And, and Andrew, anything you can think of that would help to sort of mitigate the risks that have been seen across the industry when, when setting up a new business?
2: I mean, I, I think everyone's covered it really well. Um, if I'm honest um, and as Andy says it's about having a, a, a broad range of experts at the table um, I think the underlying thread for me is, uh, we said it yesterday there's nothing like a good crisis to uh, work out what well, <laughs> to shake things up a bit Le- lessons learned are going to be really really important and taking a, a, and having a business that's really really open to criticising itself and um, uh really, really honestly looking at what's going on in the market. That's how we're going to make decisions because this is an event that happened and I think it was entirely predictable and I think there's a few nods that that probably was predictable. Um, there'll be another event in the next five years of some sort and um, we need to have a, a strategy that can cope with change but also one uh, where we learn from it and, uh, and keep the business strong going forward would be my view. Cool.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Um, I think it's it's fair to say, listening to to you experts today, that entering the market um, in the early part of next year um, is is kind of one tick in the box. That's one thing that you would consider advising clients on today. But it's obvious to me as well that entering the market with the right proposition is also important. So with a a real clear green proposition uh, that's helping consumers and businesses get to net zero is, is very helpful um, and, a, and a real clear, strong message on that. So combining the, the commercial um, risk factors that Stuart is, is, has covered uh, so very well, as well as you know, what are we going to do for consumers, making sure that there's a real low cost to serve um, as, as far as how we manage customers and how customers engage with us um, so so very important and it's just kind of that thread of of commercial that cuts through it so so I guess the question was going to be would you be advising people to enter this market at the moment but I guess the question is more about under what circumstances would you be advising people to come into the market at the moment um, would be would be, I guess the question um, Stuart would, would you mind just kind of covering that one off
3: yeah I think it's like you've got a clear purpose and a clear proposition and it kind of, you know how you're going to manage it end to end from customer service, through pricing, through debt recovery, through the commercial risk management, everything else. And you, that, That's great. And you know what you're doing. I think the days of somebody starting something up in the back bedroom without yeah. knowing what they're doing and without the collateral to finance it are, are hopefully gone. Um, if, you, if you're not doing that and you kind of know how, how much risk you've got, make sure you've got enough cash to cover bad events now is you know, a great time to come in because the market's repositioning. And I think that kind of purpose-driven business is, is probably in a really good place.
1: And, and being really cold about it, you know, there is a lot less competition in the market as well. You know, as sad as, sad as that is, you know, that's mm. the reality of the situation. So um, yeah, that's, that's also a, a, another plus, I suppose, or another tick in the box as you'd say. Ian. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to sort of bring things together then to, to finish off uh, today's podcast. Um question that I've been wondering with all all these different events. So we saw in Texas last year where where they had a a massive struggle um, as far as their power was concerned, obviously what we're seeing in the UK and, and this sort of spotted events like this across the world, actually. Do you think these events do more to help get us to net zero or do you think it brings out the whole... Uh, argument for coal and and, and dirtier energy um, as as a way of of making sure that we we sort of have 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 all of those resources used. Um, Andrew, would you would you mind maybe picking up that point first? You
2: like to ask me the hard questions, Ian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's, it is an interesting question, and it's certainly events like this bring a lot of attention to our industry i think the the good aspect of that is you get debate and ideas and you know i see on my twitter all the time i'll have the same tweet picked up by greenpeace and by people who are very pro-fracking saying different things about the same bit of information and i've always enjoyed that and i think i think is it's what one thing is good at this time is all that information comes out. Um, it's what we choose to listen to and what we think is right that's um, going to help us make the right decisions. Um, with respect to net zero, I mean, I, I think it was it was going to happen rapidly anyway. Um, uh, particularly in the UK, if you look at the rate electricity is decarbonising, if you look at the number of EVs that you see around town, I drove two miles yesterday and saw ten electric cars, which I thought was was pretty uh, you know amazing something that, that was such a new technology even probably two years ago you might say
0: yeah
2: and um yeah certainly electric heat as well you know the announcements around heat pumps are quite interesting and and, and what's going to happen there um the the bit that I would love to see more talk about which is interesting from a supplier who's incentivized to sell kilowatt hours is how do we reduce our demand as well how do we get more efficient and um, you know although electricity demand should be going, north very very quickly. Um, how can we um, you know temper the peaks of demand? Um, you know, that cold winter day when everyone's heating and charging the car and making a cup of tea and somebody has got the bar heater on as well. You know, <laughs> that would be the question I'd like to understand.
0: Yeah. Yes, de- definitely. Um uh, and Andy, I'll give you the sort of the, the final word on this question, if you wouldn't mind what, what what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, um it's one of those where obviously you hope, you hope that it's not hindering it, and it's actually going to be helping us uh, get towards net zero. I think there there is a fear, as you talked about coal. You know, I think there is a fear, especially perhaps outside of the UK, where there are lots of coal reserves. Still, um, it's a, if people have got access to it and it is okay, so well, we've got to keep the lights on somehow. You know, are other countries going to head towards or back towards coal? Um, that, I suppose that's a fear of mine. I think certainly here in the UK, and I'm hoping across the wider world the wave um and you know consumers want sustainability consumers want net zero and i think there's a there's a big enough demand now and a big enough movement that to go back on it um, would just be you know political disaster and i think we've talked to you know some of the other podcasts haven't we about you know politics and and how that has a big impact and politicians typically look short term because you know they're going to get voted back in in a couple of years time I think this one, though, is, is, is something where they can think longer term because I think the mood music is there. Um, so, yeah, so I, re- I really hope now with this, it being front page news. And as Stuart said, who would have thought hedging would be front page news? But I think that's actually helped educate, you know, the, the population, the masses around how this complex thing actually works. So I'm really hopeful, really hopeful that actually, you know, this all of this news will be good. Because it just adds more fuel to that. You know, we've got to get into net zero. People understand it a bit better. So, yeah, hopeful. Hope,
0: hope. Hopeful. hopeful. <laughs> okay, so listen, guys, uh, thanks for your time today. I've really enjoyed the, the conversation. Uh, I've certainly learned a, a great deal from it as well, uh, which is which is always a good thing um so that's the end of today's podcast uh this is a hope energy podcast we'll be bringing more podcasts to you in the future um if you want to follow us you can go to linkedin and and take a look at the material we'll be sending out there um obviously we're all about legacy um so we are going to continue to share good stories from around the world on you know where where we see um Good legacy stories coming out and how um others can sort of follow in 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 those footsteps as, as we're leading this charge um, so that's enough from me for today and and thanks everybody else for attending today's podcast thank you everybody
1: thanks everyone cheers yeah.